This is the On Conflict Podcast. Deep conversations that will transform your relationship with conflict. Season 2, a focus on leadership. And now, your hosts, Julia Menard and Gordon White. Hello, this is Gordon White. And I'm Julia Menard. Second season of On Conflict Podcast. Welcome. With some focus on leadership. Yes, some focus on leadership, which is going to be building on and yet different from season one. That's right. And in this Riffcast, we're going to review, speak about, share some insights on our interview with Martin Winicki. That's right. And say something about Martin. Something about Martin. Martin is a fascinating person in and of himself. Young man, 29 years 29 old. 29 years old. Yeah, that was really amazing to both of us, and especially given that he's been living in this intentional peace village, in a sense, a peace village, since he was 15, 16 years old. 16 years old, yeah. yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think he took a three-year program, mm-hmm. three-year educational mm-hmm. program offered mm-hmm. by them, and mm-hmm. then uh, took the opportunity to stay on and live there. Yeah. So 13 years later, he is very much a product of the community, the intentional community, Tamara, mm-hmm. that um, he is one of the leaders of. Yeah. And they're focused on peace building, environmental sustainability, cooperation, coherence. He used the term a healing biotrope. biotrope. Mm-hmm. Healing biotrope. Yeah. Really great, fascinating interview. We really encourage you to go listen to it. And at the same time, you don't need to have listened to it to engage and enjoy, we hope, this particular Riffcast. Yeah. Our conversation was far reaching and we've picked out a few themes today that we'd like to explore. Yeah. One of the things Gordon and I were reflecting on after our interview with Martin is that the work that we engage in involves working with what could be called communities. And and, and I don't know about you and Gordon and you, dear listener, but I think of a community as a workplace as well, that a team could qualify as a community, an organization could qualify as a community. And I'm curious what you think. I'm curious about what you all think, but Gordon's sitting here beside me, so I'll ask him. There's certainly certainly all collectives. So insights or understandings that would apply, apply to a collective would run across them all. Yeah, I was asking about that because... Martin's perspective was very much from living in an experimental community, an intentional experimental community. And our perspectives, yours and mine, Gordon, is a lot of the time we're working within organizations where you and I are not as yet attempting to live in an intentional community that I'm aware of. (laughs) And perhaps most of the people listening to this Riffcast would not necessarily be thinking of building an intentional community. I'm just thinking about the things he talked about and, and its application to mm-hmm. other definitions of community, I guess. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was going to speak about some of the aspects of conflict that he spoke about in, in relation to community. Yes. Does that, should we go there? Yeah, let's go there. Okay. So one of the ideas was that when two individuals are having a struggle in a conflict, that in their community, they try to support those two people in a group context of some sort or other, right? In Tamara. In, in Tamara, in yeah. So there's not an expectation that two people should be self-sufficiently able to deal with a significant conflict that they have. The expectation is that support should be there from other people. 
That is such a significant comment, especially I think, again, Gordon, you and I have had some conversations over the years about when we first were brought into organizations. The perspective often is two people have a conflict here. Mm. They may be embedded in a team. They may be embedded in the larger organization, but the the perspective is these two people have a problem, so these two people need help solving a problem. Mm-hmm. And we both expanded from that perspective. And would you mind sharing that way that our thinking, some of the things we've talked about, how our thinking has changed? Well, I think we often find that other people are contributing to the conflict that two people are having, and particularly leadership can contribute to it, or the people that they might report to directly could contribute to it. But just today, before doing this recording, you and I were walking and I was asking you about the situation that I'm working on right now, right? And and 15 years ago, I might have just talked with two people, right? But we were talking about, should it be four or should it be six kind of? So the debate isn't around whether, <laughs> whether to have extra people is more around how many extra people to mm-hmm. have, right? Yeah. To support the two that need to work something out, plus the others are involved in different varying degrees in different ways. Right? Yes. Well, one of the things we spoke about was two people or four people could have a conversation that would change some of how they're thinking of the situation. But then if they go back into their broader team or broader community and other people haven't had those shifts, the other people have their narratives mm-hmm. that are fossilized to, fossilized to the story that had happened before that conversation. Mm-hmm. So how the broader community were embedded in, in a larger story. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think we're saying that you would never work with two people. It's just that there's there's quite a few considerations in coming to determination about whether you work large or small or medium and and when. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's a whole other conversation about how do you discern, even as a leader, you know, as if, if I was listening to this podcast and I was the leader of a team within an organization, how do I make that discernment? Mm-hmm. I hear that two of my employees are in conflict. Is my next move, is my responsibility to bring the whole team together? Mm-hmm. Is my responsibility to work with just these two people? Should I work with each person individually and coach them? And these are the kinds of things that mm-hmm. you and I also mm-hmm. try to assess. But it's leaders throughout multitudes of mm-hmm. organizations are facing these kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Or do I do all of it in a particular order? Right. And if I do all of it, what order do I do it in? Yes. Yeah. And how do I find the time to do it? Because yeah. it's, yeah. I mean, managing conflict, although it's, as we know from research, anywhere from 25 to 60 percent of a, mm-hmm. a leader or a manager's mm-hmm. day can be somehow involved with conflict. There isn't really an acknowledgement that that's mm-hmm. an important part of what they do is engage and transform conflict. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'd like to mention something that I consider an ideal on a team, mm-hmm. which is when a team is really high functioning and people are connected, it can develop the capacity where any conflict that's going on can be shared with that group, right? And get support with that whole group. And that there's an expectation that all the conflicts can be addressed or at least worked on, not necessarily fully resolved, right? Because some of them, there's tensions that may continue. Well, and I'd love to hear more about that. It won't happen on this RiffCast, I don't think. But uh, Gordon, I think you've done a lot of work around team development and conflict. And again, my curiosity around if I'm a team lead right now and listening to this RiffCast, you know, mm-hmm. well, like, what does that even mean? And and uh, how do I create an environment where my team is going to be comfortable enough 
to bring up conflict. Mm-hmm. There's a lot involved in what you said, too. There is. I yeah. Know. Well, there's trust building involved, right? Mm-hmm. There's um, means of communication to be able to raise things. Mm-hmm. Guidelines. Yeah, and, there's expectations of self-development, right? That. Of, the, of, uh, from of the leader from the leader of their yeah of everyone of all, everyone, have everyone there mm-hmm. the willingness to hear about negative effects that you're having on others right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and you're starting okay. to um, for me cross over once more to the interview that we had with Martin mm-hmm. you know part of the crossover I'm hearing right now is this idea of trust mm-hmm. the importance of trust. And um, maybe do we want to riff on that a bit? Yeah, yeah? please. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with regard to trust, I really enjoyed M- Martin's definition, which might be familiar in some ways to people who are uh, familiar with Brene Brown, who is quite well known. But part of what Martin spoke about is that trust could be defined as this capacity to show myself without defense to someone else, to let myself be seen in the deepest way. Mm-hmm. And... I know for me, one of the things over the last decade that has become more and more important is this idea of emotional or psychological safety. And to me, psychological or emotional safety go hand in glove with trust. Hmm. Because for me to be more vulnerable, this definition of trust, I need to have some sense of security or safety in myself to be able to open myself up Hmm. to another. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Can you say anything else about that? Well, another part of it yeah. to me is that trust involves relying on something like you're as you speak about being able to open, like feeling that safety, right? Means that you're relying on that safety, but you don't have 100 percent proof that it is safe. Right. So there's mm-hmm. always some risk associated with building trust. Right. Mm hmm. Yes. Yeah. Which requires courage, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The other thing that was coming up for me, we didn't get into this with Martin, actually, but I think it is another important conversation, which is what are what are the guidelines or the container that we would be building together to enable us to have a conversation Mm -hmm. that at least I would have some semblance, some promise of safety. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly in making use of the conversation we had with Martin, one of the things he talked about was the very high Uh, expectations in that community of acceptance, right? Because Mm. part of their belief in dealing effectively with conflict is a preemptive kind of philosophy where if you speak or are able to speak about and disclose your sort of the parts of yourself that you're uncomfortable with and you might call dark parts of yourself, it's through becoming conscious of those more unconscious elements and being able to externalize them and talk about them in that trusting environment that really enables conflict to be I guess more constructive and yeah. yeah. Well surfaced, I think, so, firstly. Yeah, firstly and then and then constructive. Yeah. yeah. Over time. Although in the interim it can be very kind of heated mm-hmm. according to him. Right? Yeah. Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. And one could almost say unsafe. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of paradoxical on the one hand, I'm yeah. saying my noticing that safety enables people to open up. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, it can become it's almost like the safety for me, it allows people to open up and then your feet are to the fire as you go through this experience. It can be quite intense to mm. hang on and to get through to the other mm. side, eh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to, I'm just thinking our conversation might nicely lead to the quote that caught yeah, your I was attention. Yeah, I was looking at it too. Yeah. Did you so, want to read it? Yeah, mm-hmm. we, um, Julie and I both read some of Martin's writing in preparation to interview him. And, and we've got the yeah, those, articles. Yeah, the links are on the, on the website below the 
the episode. Yeah. So here's a quote from him. Life energy that cannot be expressed in trust ex- explodes in violence. Life energy that cannot be expressed in trust explodes in violence. So this is representative of a, what you might describe as a depth perspective of conflict, right? That if you work, if you just kind of work in a human, humanist, considerate way and speak about what people need, he's suggesting that's not enough. Uh, it's, it's not going to create significant resolution that you actually have to explore and be interested in parts of yourself that you're not yet fully aware of and to become more aware of those parts. And I think he's really suggesting that that's a shift that the world needs to go through. Is it, would that be fair to say? Mm-hmm. Well, and I, yes, because I think people it, in the world need to. Well, because yeah. I think it relates actually to the next topic that you and I were wanting to speak about on the Riffcast, which is the connection to fascism and totalitarianism, that there's this sense of a split between perhaps our more rational selves and this simmering rage that can build up unconsciously underneath us. And that for my understanding of what Martin and the community is speaking about is that fascism or totalitarianism can be a symptom of this split between the, in a way, the mind and the primitive body. And so if we're keeping the primitive body and the rage so unconscious, whether on an individual level, a team level, Mm. or a country level, Mm -hmm. that we're more susceptible to be captives Mm. to these primitive, Mm -hmm. not just urges, but primitive impulses that we Mm. all can, and we all do experience, actually, not just can experience. I mean, Mm. there are times when I've done things that I'm not proud of. Mm -hmm. And I'm imagining maybe you have too. I don't know. Oh, me? No, never. No, not you. Never no, did it. No, no, I know. But me, I'll stand for the poster child. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, did I, you want to comment? Well, on I'm really that? glad that yeah. you may, you kind of brought that down to earth because when you were talking about dark urges kind of in people, I was thinking, oh, that's a pretty provocative thing for us to be saying. But you're essentially talking about, I guess, those just the parts of ourselves that maybe emerge in surprising ways that we're not you know, when they come out, we weren't fully aware of them before. Well, I mean, yeah. basic examples. I don't know about you, but when I get called into organizations, oftentimes people are acting in ways that are, for them, quite uncharacteristic, quite mm-hmm. embarrassing. Mm-hmm. The slamming doors, the crying, mm-hmm. you know, the raising the voice, the swearing, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. those behaviors are, are, behaviors that our rational selves do not want to be perceived that way as. Mm-hmm. And so where's that coming from? Mm-hmm. So I don't know, I was just um, commenting on or responding to your comments around conflict arising mm, from, the, from these unconscious yeah. places in us. Yeah. And reminiscent of the Robert Keegan quote that we both cottoned on to around conflict being... Uh, conflict, conflict is a challenge to, to our pretense, pretense of completeness. Pretense of self. Yeah. 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 I guess there's an assumption in this community, and you and I are probably on kind of on that same page, just that fascist or totalitarian regimes are not a positive thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, I guess we should clarify. Yeah. yeah, yeah Do you because, think some of, somebody out there listening thinks the totalitarian regime is a good thing? Well, what what's some per, what one person might call totalitarian might not be called that by somebody yes. else, right? Yes, that's very, very yeah. helpful discernment. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Good. Good, but in, good. But in any case, uh, in opposing that kind of regime, well, essentially what Martin was saying is it's really important not to oppose it because you, in in opposition, arising from within you will be qualities that have a similarity to that kind of regime itself. He talked about his own personal experience of 
kind of seeing that in himself as an as an activist, mm-hmm. whereas he talks instead. What's better is to start building constructive, coherent communities. Well, I want to speak to this because I, and I want to talk about how subtle it is, because I was even as you started to talk, I was aware that I had said, you know, does any any listener out there think that a totalitarian regime is a good thing? Mm-hmm. And you made that discernment. Maybe people would have different definitions of what mm-hmm. that kind of regime would mm-hmm. be. And even still, let's go backwards to me saying, could anybody think that's a good thing? Mm-hmm. I've already judged it mm-hmm. as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's not about accepting all behaviors mm-hmm. as okay or accepting all realities as okay. That's I don't think that's what we're talking about here right now. Mm-hmm. I think it's more about is it who was the person who had said keep your friends close but keep your enemies closer? Mm-hmm. I don't know who said. I think that. it was the Art of War. Was it? Yeah, that, yeah. son, son, yeah. son, son, whoever. Yes, brother. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Art of War. I'm pretty sure. I think it's more that that one. What is disarming? Mm-hmm is an engagement of the heart. And and I'm actually, sorry, I'll go on a bit further. Riff. Yeah, I'm just thinking about a story that Ben Hoffman told us. Mm. I don't know if you were there actually for that one, when he was in the jungle with Joseph Coney. Mm-hmm. Were you there for that story? I don't know. I, we asked him about it when we yeah. interviewed him. Yeah, I just know because I've talked with him in other contexts too, mm. so I can't remember. Ben, ben Hoffman, by the way, just as an aside, if you wanted to search the um, Our On Conflict website, you will find an interview from Ben and Ben died. Yeah, it was episode 12, I believe, because I just okay. re-listened to it. Oh, okay, he, and he, he died past, well, within the past year. year. Yeah. Great loss from our perspective. Yeah, great loss for our community and you, for our world, yeah. actually. But um, yeah, he had the opportunity to, if you want to call it an opportunity, to negotiate with Joseph Coney for the release of some um, young girls that had been kidnapped. But he spoke about having to go in to that situation with somebody who is certainly perceived has been perceived by most of the world as somebody who had a lot of evil in him, mm-hmm. Joseph Coney, and having to go there and really be human being to human being, heart to heart in that context. So that's what I was, mm-hmm. was I was thinking about too, about keeping your friends close, but keeping your enemies closer. Circling back to Martin's mm-hmm. comment as well, mm-hmm. um, to not vilify and emnify, mm-hmm. because we're actually going to alienate as well. Mm-hmm. This is a little bit different point, but mm-hmm. um, it was something that Martin t- talked about. Um, well, the, sorry, <laughs> I'm changing, <laughs> kind of changing where I'm starting and yeah. thinking down some different lines. But yeah. um, the whole question of whether you value totalitarianism or might, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. greater the fear becomes in society, I think it's fair to say that more people will accept or want a strong regime, right? So yes, great, yeah. And so I said, let's say that again. More fear in society, yeah, yeah, will incline people to more to wanting more strong regimes. Yes, incline them towards being accept accepting totalitarianism. Well, and that's been substantiated with brain research too, in terms yeah. of political leanings. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. And so, I think one of the things that Martin is suggesting is that if people or when fear arises, it's really important to be in touch with the unconscious aspects of it, right? And deal with it. Because mm-hmm. if we don't, as a society, mm-hmm. it's going to lead to people accepting or even wanting strong regimes, too strong, re- regimes that are too oppressive, right? Mm-hmm. That 
actually are harmful in the end. So are you saying to help counteract this natural animal tendency in us to want certainty, predictability, so therefore strong governments, the more fearful we get, the more uncertain we get, that our work then is, fill in the blank there, our work is what? To work with unconscious elements in ourselves, right? The unconscious Fearful. Yes. Yeah. Well, and Martin had this great contrast of that fear and anger. Mm-hmm. And I got like, I, I had this image of the, uh, the, uh, the I Ching. Yin Yang. Yin Yang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fear and anger. So we need to work with those. We need to uh, acknowledge those, allow those to come up. Yeah. Those are the primitive urges that we're talking about, I think. Yeah. No? Yeah. And you're using the word primitive and I'm not sure it's necessarily primitive. Mm-hmm. I just think it's part of being human, you know. Well, it depends on how you define primitive, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, yeah. Basic? Yeah. Uh, animal? Basic. I don't know if it's animal. Well, we are animals. I see us as animals. But okay, well, if we're animals, then it's animal. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. But I also see it as very human, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's a whole other riff, right? Yeah, it is, yeah. N- noticing <laughs> the time, too. <laughs> we're already clicking yeah. along. So yes. I think and we've only got one more theme we were going to share. Yeah, okay? we just want to mm-hmm. sort yeah. of kind of, it's, some of this will be a review from what we've said, but what are the implications for leadership? Um, the implications from what we were yeah. learning from Martin. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'd love to hear your take because you're the one that came up with these two points and I thought they were both brilliant. <laughs> well, I've, I've mentioned one already. Yeah. One is that in a group context, mm-hmm. a leader is responsible for creating subgroups or groups where individuals, pairs of people who are in significant conflict can rely on those collectives or those subgroups to help them get through conflicts. Right? Mm-hmm. So to yeah. not fully expect two people to be able to do it, but to provide support from small groups, I guess. Yeah. Can I, I'll add to that. Yeah, I'm just please. thinking about, you know, that in the last year we had the opportunity to do a workshop on gossip. Mm-hmm. And over the course of a month, we would meet each week with the team. Mm-hmm. And my sense was that the opportunity to work in a broader community and the whole team Mm -hmm. enabled the whole team to experience what it was like to bring up difficult topics and to work through Mm -hmm. difficult topics Mm -hmm. together. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Okay. That was one of your points, implications for leadership. Your second point. Yeah. And the other is, yeah, the expectation of the individual in the group that you're responsible, however large that is, Mm -hmm. that they are involved in a internal or self-exploratory process, right? That they're curious about aspects of themselves they're not aware of. And that the leader's expectation is that the people who report to them would engage in self-exploration and self-awareness. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's big. It is. I don't hear that being talked about a lot. Do do, do you? No, although, you know, we mentioned Robert Keegan in, yes. in that book. He's got a book called An Everyone Culture. I'm just looking at it on the oh, bookshelf yes. there. Where yeah. he talks about cultures of certain organizations that have very high expectations of um, of people that they hire, right? High yes. Ex- not, not, and I don't mean high expectation in terms of performance, but expectation that in this work environment, you will be called upon to develop yourself personally. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to be working on yourself and you know, receiving feedback um, in a kind of a regular systematic way, then this is not a place where you should Mm -hmm. apply your work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that's fabulous. Fabulous. Well, I think that is basically what we wanted to cover in terms of our RIFCAST with regard to the incredible privilege that we had to speak directly to Martin. Uh, Anything you wanted to add by way of closure? 
Uh, I, I, one thing maybe just to mention mm-hmm. about Martin was yeah. that he's um, he's kind of he seems to be basically the person who's leading the outreach of that Out, community outreach of that community. Mm-hmm. That, that isn't that isn't the word that's used for his title, but that mm-hmm. was my understanding of what mm-hmm. he's doing. Yeah, yeah, he seemed to be have his finger in a lot of pockets, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I think he, he yeah the outreach <laughs> shortcut. Yeah, and uh, yeah, again, if you're interested in that podcast, it should be easy to find on our website and uh, the On Conflict podcast. And again, I'm signing off. I'm Julie Menard. Gordon White, welcome to season two. And well, thank you for listening. <laughs> if you love this episode of On Conflict, then help us out by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. And you can spread these big ideas too by sharing on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you show up online. Want to know more about us? Check out our website on conflictpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. Now, go make the world a better place.